You know, periodically through our lives, we have things that we struggle with and that are difficult for us. And I just wanted to read to you a little bit of a story of, of one girl who had something difficult that she struggled with that I, I certainly hope none of us have had to deal with. The story goes like this. I was only 10 when my drug use started. Both of my parents are active addicts. So it was my mom who got me into it. You say, how do you get hooked on drugs? Well, usually the answer isn't mom hands them to you at 10, but well, hopefully that isn't usually the answer. She always acted like a teenager, more like a friend than a mom, and she gave me pills for my, my first time. I was living with her back then, and I started using consistently, taking a bunch of pills, smoking weed, and drinking a lot. The pills were my main drug, Percocet, Vicodin, and a lot of downers. I struggled with depression and my, my parents' physical and verbal abuse, so when I started abusing myself with the drugs, cutting, bulimia, anorexia, and the guys kept bringing, guys kept bringing in and out of my life. I started acting like out like your typical teenage drug addict, stealing, sneaking out at night, but it was all pointless because my mom was so high all the time that she didn't even notice. By age 13, I was living in a shelter with my mom and my younger sister. The cops found me there and took me back to my dad's. He was very abusive and his own drugs of choice were uppers, so I started doing a lot of coke, meth, ecstasy those next three years. Those became my drugs of choice. In July of 2019, I ran away from where I was living with my dad in South Texas. I don't remember all of it, just that I took Xanax, woke up in downtown Houston, and never went home again. At that point, I didn't have a drug of choice anymore. It was just whatever anybody had, whatever was in your hand. In Houston, I contacted an old using buddy and started staying with her and her mom. Her mom and my mom used to get high together, so when I was living with them, they'd get all They'd, we'd all get high together. A few weeks later, my grandparents found me and got custody of me, so I moved in with them. The very next day, I snuck out, bought a bunch of drugs, and did them all. Coke, pills, liquid codeine, all this crazy stuff. I wound up at a park where I went into the bathroom because I felt like I was going to have a seizure. That's when I caught my reflection in the mirror and nearly jumped out of my skin. My eyes were sunken in, I was black and blue, I had cuts all over, I didn't even recognize myself. I literally thought it was someone else in the bathroom with me that day. That's how bad it was, and I was terrified. I thought it was a monster. I realized now that I hadn't looked at myself in the eyes ever since I'd started getting high. When I went outside, the cops were there. They tackled me and sent me to juvenile hall, where I failed every drug test imaginable. I remember the lady doing my intake. She looked at me, and her eyes were so sad, she was like she was thinking, what on earth have you been doing to yourself? The next day, I met my probation officer, and, all, and of all the POs in Montgomery County, I got a notoriously hard-nosed one. She told me that she was going to flip a coin. If I got heads... I was going to the Phoenix house. If it got tails, I went to a, going to a psychiatric program. It happened that I got heads. I started, the out, I started treatment at the Houston Outpatient Prevention Program, 
and met my counselor, Rudy. I get so angry at him, yelling, like, why do you even care? I don't understand why you're even bothering. But Rudy said, I'm not going to give up on you, and he didn't. Not even when I started to relapse. Not even when I got arrested and sent back to juvie. There I was, 15 years old, without any friends or family, and I just wanted more than anything to overdose on heroin and die. That's when I finally got to my knees and prayed. I don't think I actually said anything. And if I did, I don't remember it. But I got this overwhelming sense that even though my lawyer, my PO Rudy, my PO Rudy, my friends, and my family could all give up on me, God wouldn't give up on me. So I wasn't going to give up on myself. You know, we all have, well, hopefully we didn't have drugs handed to us by a mother when we were 10, but I think we all at times have struggles and difficulties, addictions, whether it's pornography or, you know, I was joking with Aaron, my brother-in-law is here visiting with us last night. We were sitting talking last night and I was like eating all this stuff because like it's Christmas time, so, you know, no counting calories, right? Free month. Like, Aaron, now you know why I have to count calories because you can see how much I eat when left to my own devices, right? And I can just eat, eat all day. We, we all have the things that we struggle with. And as we look here at Acts chapter 12, I think we're going to see something that I hope will be an encouragement this morning. So Acts chapter 12, starting at verse 1, it says, About that time Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belong to the church. So we've kind of shifted where we are. So now we're going to this different section of, of Christianity, and it mentions Herod. And you know, I, when I first read this word Herod, not thinking too hard about it at the time, just, okay, this is the Herod, right? The Herod, you know, the Herod of Jesus' birth. This actually gets quite a bit more complicated than that. There's like lots of Herods. There's Herod the Great, Herod Archelaus, Herod Antipas, Herod the Philip, Herod Agrippa. So there's multiple Herods. So Herod the Great is the one that we always think of when we think of Herod in the Bible. He would be the Herod that was the king of Israel uh, in charge of that particular part of the Roman Empire where Jesus was born. So I'm going to read to you a little bit about this background. I hope some of you find this helpful and interesting. I certainly did. So this is not Herod the Great who ruled Israel at the time of the birth of Jesus. This is his grandson, Herod Agrippa I. So Herod the Great had a son named Aristobulus, not a name I'm familiar with, son of his favorite wife. Great, Herod the Great had lots of wives, but he was just his son of his favorite wife. He was born in 10 BC, but Agrippa's father was killed when Agrippa was three years old because of the irrational suspicions of Herod the Great. So Herod the Great thought his son was going to like take him over, so he had him killed. So, but the grandson lived, and Agrippa was raised in Rome, where he grew up with Claudius, the future emperor, and Drusus, son of Emperor Tiberius. His imperial connections served him well later in life, because of la but because of lavish spending, he returned to Palestine as a poor man and held no significant position until Gaius Caligula became emperor in AD 30. Because Agrippa earlier endeared himself to Caligula, so he lived in Rome, he made some friends, good to have, make the right friends, right? The new emperor gave him the title king and put him in charge of territory in northern Palestine. After the death of Herod Antipas, so this is another Herod, in AD 39, 
Caligula added Galilee and kingdom was extended to include Judea and Samaria. So what happened was these other people would die or go. And, and so this Herod we're talking about here, Herod Agrippa, he was able to expand the amount of land he was able to control. So he got more and more and more control. So for about three years, he was pretty much the only client king of Israel from about AD 41 to AD 44. So he ended up kind of ultimately having control over Israel, at least as much control as Rome would give him. The Pharisees appreciated Agrippa. So Agrippa was actually well-liked by the Pharisees, the Jewish religious people, both because he was a descendant of the Hasmoneans through his mother and because he scrupulously kept Jewish customs. Josephus says he loved to live continually at Jerusalem and is exactly careful in the, abs in the observance of the laws of his country. He therefore kept himself entirely pure, nor did, he, nor did a day pass over his head without its appointed sacrifice. So this is our Herod. He's the grandson of Herod the Great. He was raised in Rome, and he's beloved by the Jewish religious leadership. So this Herod laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Verse 2, he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. So to uh, not confuse you further, there's lots of Jameses in the Bible. So let me try to straighten out for you, because I had to look it up again to remind myself, who are all the Jameses in the Bible? Well, you have James, the father of Judas. So we usually know who Judas was, the one that portrayed Jesus. He's kind of famous. He had a father, and his name was James. You have James, the son of Alphaeus. He was one of the 12 apostles. You have James, the brother of John, who we have here. He's the son of Zebedee. He's also one of the 12 apostles, and he's the one that's killed here by Agrippa. And then we have James, the brother of the Lord. This is the half-brother of Jesus, and we're actually going to see him later in the story. So we have two of the Jameses in this story we have going on today. So we have James, he's one of the 12 apostles, and he is killed by the sword. Verse 3, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, so our Herod here, Herod Agrippa, he's like, ah, this makes the Jews happy. And remember, when he comes from, from Rome and he comes back to rule, he's well-liked by the Jews, he's well-liked by the Pharisees, he likes pleasing the Jews, and so when he finds out that the Jews like this whole killing the Christians thing, he's like, I'm going to do some more of this. So he proceeds to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. Of course, the days of unleavened bread, this is a Jewish festival. I wrote quite a few things down here. I don't think I'll explain it all to you if you uh, don't remember. It's, it's connected with the Passover service. So they arrest him. Verse 4, and when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So he arrests him so he can have him. And it just seems what is going to be happening here is after this particular Passover is over, he's going to bring him out. He's going to kill him. And guess what? He's going to get liked even more by the Jews. So what a way to build up your reputation. You just find this group that most people don't like and you, you kill them or whatever you do to them, and it makes you beloved. And so he brings these groups of four squads of soldiers. Now these four squads of soldiers, what we are pretty sure is going on here, is that there's actually four squads of four, because, and let me wrote, read one Roman writer, he explains, and because it is used to seem impossible for centuries to main successful watches, they couldn't stay awake, 
The watches, therefore, were divided into four parts by the water clock. You guys know what a water clock is? I didn't either, so I Googled it. I really thought about showing you the video, but I figured killing five minutes on a water clock video probably wasn't uh, the way to go. But if you think of a very, very simple water clock, it would be something like this. We have a big bowl. We cut a hole in it. So we're going to have a debate, okay? Terry and I are going to have a big argument. I'm not sure what about, but it's going to be it. She's going to start out, and her opening statement, she gets one bowl of water. We fill it up. We take the plug out, and however long it takes for that water to go out is how long she would have her opening statement. And now if someone interrupted her, we could put the plug in and stop the clock, right? And then unplug it to start the clock again. That's kind of how a water clock works. Now that's a very simple one. They, they made some really cool ones. They made some with siphoning that actually kept time, and the water would siphon automatically, and they could actually keep the, the, the time pretty much accurately year-round without ever having to, uh, to add more water to it. Now, I'm sure with evaporation stuff, it wasn't perfect, but it's pretty cool, some ingenuity stuff that people did with these water clocks. So they would have these water clocks so that, and that's how they kept time. So that not be necessary to stand watch for more than three nighttime hours. So they'd have four groups of four and they would each take a three hour shift. And the way they knew three hours was they would follow the water clock. So Peter was kept in prison but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. You know, I, I'd like us to notice here, you know, what happened to James? Pray. He died. And I think that people prayed for James and people wanted James to not die. So when we think about how God works in our life, we always don't know what God has for us. And sometimes we think, how come, you know, I didn't get healed from my disease or how come it didn't go well for me? And I'd say, God doesn't heal everybody. God doesn't fix every problem. And I don't know why he does and why he does not. But Peter, God decides to do something great. And he's jailed. He's probably jailed in the fortress of Antonia, which of those of you who've been to Israel, which isn't too many of us, you will know right where that is, right? The fortress of Antonia is likely where he was held. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. So I'm not sure, but some people think he might have even been bound to the soldiers, two of them bound to him, two of them at the door. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and the light, and, and the light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side. Apparently this word struck is like not like, you know, We've, we've had a special visitor the last few days, and in the morning time, when she gets up, and she, she wants you get up, she comes into the bedroom, and she knows not to do it to Uncle Joel, because Uncle Joel is more scary, but she goes to, she goes to Aunt Bethany, and goes, Aunt Bethany, Aunt Bethany, it's time to get up, it's time to get up, she'll poke you. This was not, this, this struck was not a poke, apparently it's like, really whacked him. Pretty severe, like really, I mean, he hits him, wakes him up, says, let's go. And the chains fall off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real. 
but he thought he was seeing a vision. So the angel comes, strikes him hard, gets him to go, and he's like, wow, what a crazy dream. I guess I'll just go along with it. Have you ever had a dream like that? Or you like, I, I've had them where I like, this is pretty sad, but like, when my knee was hurt, I used to dream, and I couldn't play basketball anymore. I used to dream that I was playing basketball again. And I would dream that I was in high school or college again and that I could play. And I remember ha having a dream that I was playing with my old high school team and I knew it was a dream. And even in my dream, my knee was hurt. And, but I, but I, I was still getting along well enough to be able to play and I was like in practice and like running sprints with the guys and stuff. And I knew it was a dream. I just didn't want to wake up. You know, I just didn't want to wake up. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but in this case, he was in it and he thought for sure it was a dream. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. We just don't know what the iron gate is for sure. You know, the Fortress of Antonio was destroyed. There likely was a gate that went into the temple side and a, t a, a, a gate that went out. It opened for them on its own accord and they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. So we have an incredible miracle here where he is freed from prison. Verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all, the Jew, from all that the Jewish people were expecting. So he realizes he's been escaped from jail. He realizes he is going to be uh, saved from what surely would have been a beheading or something of that nature. You know, it's interesting. What was the opinion over of, of kind of Christianity in Acts chapter 2? In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, it says, they were enjoying the favor of all the people. How do all the people feel about the Christians now? Not so well, you know. The tide of public opinion, it just can be swayed back and forth, back and forth. You know, it's so funny, you know, I think a lot of us, we think, I'd just love to be famous. It'd be great, have everybody love me, be a great singer or something and have everyone think I'm awesome. You know what likely is going to happen that I think you're awesome, how great you are? There's going to be a time. They're also going to say how stupid you are, how dumb and an idiot you are, so on and so forth. You know, there's a there's a kid, like a, when I say a kid, I mean like a little child. I assume her parents run it, or his, her parents can't remember if it was a guy or a girl. I didn't. Has a YouTube channel. Guess how much money that YouTube channel made? Twenty six million dollars. Man, I need to start me a YouTube channel. Apparently, I actually have one. Monthly question. I just don't get enough views to make any money. Apparently. Um, I bet you that kid is liked. You know what's going to happen when people find out that that kid makes all that money? People aren't going to be nice to that kid. Kid's going to be beloved. Look how famous they are. But then they're going to be something like, oh, that's ridiculous that they're so rich. Guess how that kid's going to get treated by some of the kids, other kids at school? Badly. The tide of public opinion swings one way or the other. We have to really be careful not to let ourselves just swing from loving to hating, as these people did. Verse 12, and when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, 
where many were gathering together and were praying. Now, this is the first and only reference in the New Testament to this Mary, the mother of John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. It is noteworthy that no mention is made of her husband. Perhaps he has died or possibly has not become a Christian. Mary must be one of the wealthier members of the church. We always usually, you kind of see this pattern if you listen to me preach a while. Anytime they meet in a house, the person that owned the house, we usually assume they're wealthier because usually that means it's a big house that people live in. That, that's, that's pretty much our only guess. I mean, we don't really know. Maybe, maybe she wasn't that wealthy. We don't know. We just think that she may have been because the house was big enough for them to stay. I mean, maybe it was the same house as, house as, house as everybody else's. They just happened to stay there. I, I don't really know. But it kind of shows that this further evidence that there's sort of this network of churches in Jerusalem. This is not likely that there's just one church. I mean, for one church to have a big enough building in Jerusalem, it just didn't, wouldn't happen, right? They had to meet in houses and as a church group. We knew the church was at least thousands of people, right? If we think of Pentecost, how are you going to get thousands of people in one place? There's like only one place in all of Jerusalem you're going to fit thousands of people very well. And that's like the Temple Mount. So after that, they had to be in these smaller areas. I mean, this sort of thing is why, have you ever heard of movements where people try to do house churches or they do smaller churches and things like that? And the reason they argue for this sort of thing is because that's likely how it was done here. Now, I'd like to be clear on this. I think small house churches or things like that is great. I just don't think it's wrong to do it another way either. So is it wrong to have a thousand people come together in one place on Sunday? I, they didn't do it here, not because I think it was right or wrong. It was because it like wasn't even an option. Where were they going to do it at? So I think we need to be careful about saying, did they do it this way? Yes. Is it a good way to do it? Yes. Does it have its advantages? Yes. Is it doing it another way wrong? I, I don't think so. You know, just saying that they met in house churches does not mean we have to always meet in house churches. So we're blessed. We're able to afford buildings that we can have, that we dedicate them to. We don't have to remake our homes every Sunday in order to have people over to have a, a church or whatnot. I think that is a wonderful thing. And when they knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda, means a lot to some of us here, came to answer. Her name means Rose. She's likely not a slave, like a literal slave. She she may have even just uh, been just kind of helping out. We don't even know. We don't know the relationship. It's likely not a slave relationship. Uh, this translation is good. It's called her a servant. That's probably better. Some might excuse the word slave. That likely wasn't the case. Uh, recognized Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. She sees him. Ah, it's Peter. She turns and she runs. And there stands Peter standing outside of the gate, right? So excited. She can't, she doesn't remember to open the door. Maybe she couldn't, I don't know. Then said to her, you are out of your, they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, oh, it must be an angel. Some, somebody comes, you're like, oh no, you're crazy, you're crazy, you're crazy, you're crazy. It's, it's just like when your mom or your wife, you, you tell her, you can't find your billfold. It's not there. It's not there. It's not there. It's there. You know, it's there. She says, Peter's there. It's Peter's there. And they say it's an angel. And it, it very well may be that the reason they said it was an angel is because they're kind of developed this idea that people have a guardian angel. So Matthew 18, verse 10, this idea of, uh, it says, see that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that 
Their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. So their angels, kind of this idea was starting to develop even starting from Matthew into this time that people had a particular angel watching over them. Sometimes we use the term today, guardian angel or whatnot. And so it seems like some people might have gotten the idea that this angel that came wasn't Peter. It was Peter's angel. I mean, who, who knows? They might have been just trying to be nice to the poor girl. Oh, it's an angel. <laughs> you know, so we know it's not Peter. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison and said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had happened to Peter. This is going to be a problem. You know, according to the Code of Justinian, guards that allowed a prisoner free had to face the same punishment that that prisoner was in jail for. And Herod searched for him and did not find him. He examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Why do we think that Peter was going to be killed? We're almost sure. Because the sentries that guarded him ended up getting the same sentence that Peter would have gotten, and that was death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea, and spent time there. He doesn't give specifically where he went. Likely he doesn't give it specifically where he went because we're going to shift as we go on to the next section. But as we think about this, I, I like to think about something, you know. I listened to a podcast this week. It was really interesting. It was, about, it was also about addiction. And I interviewed this guy, and he's working on this technology that doesn't work yet. They're just testing it. it. May never work. I don't know if it'll ever see. You know, sometimes they work on tech stuff that never really, never really develops and never comes into practical use. But he's developing this thing. So the best way I can describe it is, you know, how to get a pacemaker. Maybe a few of you have one. I don't know. You can get a pacemaker. So you kind of like. I'm, I'm going to oversimplify this terribly, but you know, you, you have a machine. And you stick it in your body, and that machine like helps your body work right. I mean, that's that's kind of what it happens. Well. This guy is trying to develop, it's, it's, it's obviously not a pacemaker, it's probably a lot more complicated and whatnot, but it's like a pacemaker for your brain. But it's for people that have such terrible struggles with addiction that it actually puts it, that connects to their brain and then helps them to deal with this addictive problem that they have. So every time they want to go back to whatever it is that causes addiction, it does something. I'm not sure. I, I don't know how a pacemaker works, so I, I can't tell you how this works. And he's working on developing testing stage. Like I said, may, you may never hear it again. May, may never become a thing. I don't know, but he's working on it. You know, as I was thinking about that, you know, I was like, you know, yeah, maybe there are times where there's such terrible drug addiction over a long time that it changes your brain and a pacemaker's needed. I don't know. You know I'm, not, I'm not an expert, you know. There are just a lot of things in our life that we get stuck into that aren't because we've been abusing drugs for a long time. We have a lot of chains around us. And you know, I think sometimes we think, I can never get out of this. This is just who I am. This is just what I do. I just, I lose my temper. That's just, I mean, that's who I am. You know, 
I look at these things on the computer. I shouldn't look at it. This, this is, yeah, you know, this is who I am. This is what guys do. We get this idea that this chains around us that, you know, we're, we're trapped. We can't get out. You know, I think that if God is powerful enough to come and strike Peter while he's in prison, bring him out while he's being watched by guards, when those guards were watching closely enough because they knew if, they did, if he got out, they were going to die, I think he can bring, break the change in your life. As I was finishing up this sermon, I, I had to switch the song to the end. You know, there's a song that I think Alex is the first one I heard to sing it, so I'm going to ask him. We're going to sing it together the best we can. It's called "Break Every Chain." Maybe think of it. Break every chain. Break every chain. The all-sufficient sacrifice, freely giving such a price. If you have something that you has a hold of you. Maybe it's something that you've been holding on to for years. Maybe it's something that no one knows about. If some of us live by ourselves or we're separate enough for our spouse, our spouse can't watch us every second of every day. You ever heard that character is what you are in the dark, right? The secret sins. Maybe there's a thing that's been holding you, a chain. I think God can give us freedom from these chains. God can break every chain. He has the power to free, free Peter. He has the power to free you. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray as we sing this song together that you would help us to think about the chains in our lives that we might have. Something that something we just keep going back to. We know that you, you can break every chain. We know that you have the power to raise from the dead and you have the power to overcome struggles, difficulties, things in our life that we just don't think we can be made from. But we love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.